This is Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey, an Ella's Leash production. Shine On is a weekly presentation with guests, ideas, information, and fun designed to improve your life from 100.7 WHUD. Hi, it's Casey shining on today with the five people who can ruin your life. Do you know an HCP? That's a high-conflict personality. A high-conflict personality pattern. Preoccupation with blaming others, lots of all-or-nothing thinking, unmanaged emotions, extreme behaviors. If you argue with them, you get stuck there. You'll be arguing forever. Bill Eddy, a lawyer-turned-therapist, tells us what to look out for and how to detach from these high-conflict personalities. Nancy Shapiro used to be one of those. She had what she called a reactive and turbulent mind. Now she's living in Mexico, helping others find their zen with her book of calm. And Mary Shirtleff has three glorious books on being in touch with spirit and energy. You can win all three as we shine on today. That's coming up. First, Let's deal with the difficult people, the HCPs, the high-conflict personalities. Have you ever met these personality types? The I love you, I hate you type. The I'm your superior, you're nothing person. The cruel con artist. The highly suspicious type. And the dramatic accusatory type. I bet you know one of each. Some people, like mm, lawyers, see these HCPs every day. Bill Eddy is a therapist turned lawyer, and he wrote the book, The Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life. Bill Eddy, lawyer and therapist? I was a therapist first, and I kept dealing with people that had like legal problems, like getting divorced or some kind of you know teenagers in legal trouble, uh, etc. And so I really got interested in law, and I decided to go to law school. And then when I started dealing with legal cases, I noticed that there was a lot of the mental health problems I'd been dealing with as a therapist, and it made them have high conflict in their cases. They didn't want to resolve their disputes. They wanted to keep them going. Ah. And that's when I recognized they have high conflict personalities. There are so many people listening right now who are saying, that's it, high conflict personality, that explains it. And I'm thinking about people who have uh, been divorcing for like a dozen years and they can't divorce. They're still like locked horns. And, And people that you see every day at work that are always flipping out over the most minor thing. They are people who have high conflict personalities. Let me ask you this. How did they get that way? Well, there seems to be three things in personality development. First of all is your genetic makeup. And we're kind of born with tendencies. Some people are extroverts. Some people are introverts. And also some people tend to be more rigid and confrontational. Other people are more mellow. So part of it's biology. But then early childhood is a really big factor, the first five or six years of life. That's when you learn how to have close relationships. If you have a secure relationship with your parents, or at least one parent, then generally you grow up without these high-conflict problems. You know how to solve problems and get along. But if you grow up, then there's a lot of anger, maybe there's a lot of abuse, uh, things like that then it makes you kind of watching out. It could make you become more narcissistic or paranoid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the last is culture. Is our, The images we see every day influence our behavior to some extent, and I think that's the biggest change, increasing 
with high conflict personalities because we see that in movies and the news on the internet sure. people being angry and blaming at the Grammys yeah. in the White House you know high conflict personalities <laughs> are getting a lot of attention these days let me just uh, go back a little bit could losing a parent at an early age cause this uh, HCP high conflict personality in the first five or six years of life losing a parent could like from a divorce or even death of a parent um, I once did counseling with a guy when he was two years old. Both his parents died in a car crash. Wow. Now, he wasn't a high-conflict person, but he was a very insecure person. And so he really needed some counseling, and it helped him a lot. But sometimes, you know, the main thing is if you've got at least one person who really cares about you, gives you a stable upbringing, um, that's going to really help. Yeah. What we're seeing is a lot of people without that these days. Indeed. We are talking to Bill Eddy. His book is Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life. I want to ask you this. These high-conflict personalities as adults, is there hope for them, or is it pretty much they're going to stay on this same path? Well, if they're stuck in a pattern of high-conflict behavior, I say the chances are more likely they're not going to change. But I think, like, if you're married to somebody like this or you have a, cl- a close friend like this, it's worth trying to encourage them to get some counseling to see if they might be able to change. And if somebody recognizes these patterns in themselves, they certainly should get some counseling. Right. Is it an addiction to drama? It's it very much, it's very similar to that. It's very much like an addiction because people are usually in denial that they have a problem. But yes, you're right. Addicted to the drama is a characteristic of all five types. All right. Can yeah. you tell us what to look out for? The basic pattern, the high conflict personality pattern, preoccupation with blaming others, lots of all or nothing thinking, unmanaged emotions, extreme behaviors. And if you see those, then I talk in the book about the CARS method for managing them. Connect with some kind of a kind word, analyze your choices, respond to misinformation, and set limits because they don't stop themselves. You can say, all right, have a good day. I got to go now. Something like that. So the way to deal with high-conflict personalities is, you said, the CARS method. The first is... Yeah, connect yeah. with a Something kind that word. shows empathy or attention. But I don't want to give them empathy or attention because they're annoying the heck out of me. Right. It's the opposite of what you feel like doing, but it will make your life much easier in the long run. Because if you argue with them, you get stuck there. You'll be arguing forever. So this is a way to disengage. You want to disengage with a kind word, and then I've got to go. And that's the kind of thing to do, even when you feel like strangling them. Okay. So first is connect with empathy, and then? Then analyzing choices. Get them thinking forward, thinking about what to do now, not arguing about the past. You know, here's your choices. You could do A or B. It's up to you. Because they're rabbit hole people, right? When you get in a conversation with these high conflict personalities, you're down the rabbit hole sort of twisting and turning in circles. Exactly, because they're stuck in the past. They want to argue about what they did and what you did, and you can't win that argument. It's a waste of time. So that's why you focus on the future. Here's your choices. You could do this or do that. Think about it. That's analyzing. Okay. And then? 
then the R is responding to misinformation with just straight new information. So someone says, you were making all that noise yesterday, that's not fair. And you can say, actually, you may not be aware of it, but I was out of town yesterday. So rather than saying you're an idiot, is just give them the information and then move on. Ah. And finally, setting limits. So setting limits is saying, I've got to go now, or the law doesn't allow me to do that thing you want, or our policy says you have to fill out this form or do this behavior and not do that behavior. So don't make it personal. Blame it on the policies or say you've got to go. And you're allowed to do that. It might feel rude, but you're allowed to say, I've got something else I have to do. Even if someone's talking on the phone in person, and high-conflict people sometimes never stop talking. Mm. So, what you, <laughs> so that's how you can kind of move on and set limits. Where have you been all my life? I needed this information. <laughs> well, get the book now, and then 10 years from now, you'll be glad you had it. So when you come across the superior type, the love-you-then-hate-you type, the con artist, the highly suspicious, and the dramatic accusatory type, give them a caring word. Although it's counterintuitive, then analyze the options for them. You can do this or you can do that. It's up to you. Respond to misinformation matter-of-factly. Set limits and get the heck out of there. Head to this website right away, highconflictinstitute.com. The book is Bill Eddy's The Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life. I can't let go of my copy just yet. Give me a few weeks. Meanwhile, visit highconflictinstitute.com. Now meet Nancy Shapiro. She used to be a high-conflict personality. Today, she's helping others with her book of calm. What does it feel like to have a turbulent mind? Oh, it's incredibly reactive. The knee-jerk sort of reaction. Somebody can look at you wrong. Someone can speak to you wrong. Uh, you can hear an old song or eat something, maybe, and it can take you back to an old story or a time that was difficult, and all of a sudden you aren't in the present moment, you're back when you were 3 or 12 or 22 or whatever, and you're reacting to the situation instead of responding. So how long did you stay in that state when you were in reactive mind, turbulent brain? I would say a good 20 years. Yeah. It was the only way you knew how to be, right? Exactly. And there was one moment where I reacted to getting locked out of an apartment building, and I just reacted in such a silly way to my mind then as I was older and and was becoming more aware and self-reflective that I decided right then and there that I needed to change that. So It's exhausting. It is exhausting. <laughs> oh, it's exhausting, and you just, you know, you're always looking back at what you said or what you didn't say or what you did, and you're just going, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Or why didn't I say this? I could never go to parties. I was, it was just too much for me. I became very silent and, and very introverted. I mean, I'm naturally introverted yet, yet it wasn't a healthy introverted state. I was hiding from life instead of engaging in life. Getting locked out of the apartment building was the moment that brought me back to my senses and I started this journey toward calm. 
I began to write about it. I became a life coach and started sharing what I was learning with clients, and it worked for them. And so what I write about in the book is very, very field-tested. It's a good way to be. We're talking to Nancy Shapiro. The book is called The Book of Calm, Clarity, Compassion, and Choice in a Turbulent World. As I was walking to the record studio to have this conversation with you, I passed a couple of three reactive conversations. Most people... I find, are in a reactive state where something happens and and their first response is to curse, to slam their hand, to yell, to freak out. So many people are just not in control of their own brain. And I am not suggesting that I am in control of mine all of the time. But, but <laughs> well, no one is. Right. That's the whole thing. It, it, it's a practice. It's a practice. To become calmer in one's life is an ongoing practice. And so much feels out of our control, and there's real danger that comes from both man and nature that we have to deal with. And it comes from out of nowhere, seemingly. But to realize that there's over 7.5 billion other people living on the planet, and each with their own way of looking at the world, is a real reality check. And in Mexico, there's a saying, Cada cabeza es un mundo. And that means each head is the world. And just to understand that everyone, including your husband, your kids, your wife, your best friends, everyone in your family, much less everyone else in the world, is looking at the world in a different way. It can help us have a bit more compassion, dial back the reaction, and try to become more willing to hear people, to listen before we react. And our language is so important to not blame or bully or use harsh and demeaning words. We so need acknowledgement. We need encouragement. We need to be listened to and to choose kindness and listening and to pause before we start waving our hands in somebody's faces and want them to think like we do, which is not probably going to happen, but we can find that small space of understanding, which takes down the reaction, and we can begin to listen and support each other instead of always being at odds. In the Book of Calm, Nancy will teach you tools like the elevator method that will help you calm down to get to a resting place, and she'll help you choose the language that helps you find a new path. Each head is a world. Everyone sees the world differently. The Book of Calm. If you need it, send me an email from the website casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. And that's where you can learn about the Shine On Retreat. It's two weeks away at the Mariondale Center in Ossining. That center offers all kinds of retreats all year long. You could even host your own event there if you like. Originally, it was a convent. The Mariondale Center is taking the sisters' missions of ecology and equal rights and caring for the needy and expanding them, offering tools for everyone to live to their fullest potential. Visit mariondale.org or casey.co. As I have said before, if you like this podcast, you will love the weekend. We have speakers and exercises and lots of quiet time, too. You could walk the labyrinth, watch the sunsets. It's going to be beautiful. Finally today, meet Mary Shirtleff. She has three books on mind, body, spirit. And honestly, if these were the only three books you had on the subject, you'd be good. 
from Hippocrates to crystals, angels, meditation, she covers it all. And what she knows about feng shui is priceless. How she came to feng shui is by noticing the backsliding of her hypnosis clients. You know what? In 1989, I started studying hypnosis. But then as people came into my office, uh, they did absolutely amazing. But then it seemed like as they went home, they got chipped away. You know, things just seemed to go downhill for them. And then it dawned on me that something in their home was triggering them. And so I went in and started studying feng shui. Of course, there was other reasons I got into feng shui for my health. But I started studying feng shui and realizing how the home held these behaviors of the mind because we create our home from our thoughts. And so when we're trying to change our thoughts, we've got to change our home too. And this is where the mind-body-spirit trilogy began because with the mind, we had to change the mindset, but then we had to go into the body of the home and the body of our being to actually change uh, what our mind had, had told us to do at one time. And then, of course, we go into the spirit, which is that intuition, that knowing, the things that we need to do that we shut down and we forget about. So the energy of our homes can drain things from us or bring things to us? Absolutely. We create our homes from, you know, our thought patterns. So if we feel like we're not worthy or say we're in bad relationships or something like that, a lot of times there will be things in the home triggering that. Now, unworthy might be people who aren't spending money just even on the necessities. They don't believe that they deserve to have nice things around them. So they don't buy the extra nice things for their home. And and I'm not talking expensive things. I'm talking even possibly little trinkets that they love that they don't surround themselves with. And again, clutter of the mind becomes an issue within the home. When somebody's mind is depressed or heavy, they start accumulating just clutter. They don't clean. They don't um, have fresh air in the, the home. They don't, what can I say, open the door and, and really let in new energy. And for instance, say you're in a relationship and you're still surrounding yourself. You've broken up and you're still surrounding yourself with all the things that say, a person bought for you or we're in the jewelry or you wake up in the morning and you see that person's picture, all of that brings that drag back down in the body that says, oh, that failed or that relationship failed or I wasn't good enough. And then money, going back to money, people saying, oh, I never have any money. I can't afford that, blah, blah, blah. And so they live literally in tatters. Instead of going out, we can always find something we can afford either at garage sales. Um, Now with the internet, you can find it on the internet. You don't have to spend a lot of money. It's just surrounding your thing, yourself with nice things that uplift the mind, that when you look at them, they make you smile right. instead of things that bring you that foreboding feeling. Let's talk about feng shui and the basement. The body needs sunlight and fresh air. A lot of times in a basement, you will not have either one of those. And so when you live in a basement, it's really important that you, number one, keep it warm, keep it bright. If it's if it's putting in the natural light, full spectrum light bulbs, keep it light almost full time during the day. And then fresh air becomes an issue in a basement because it can tend to be, if it's not a daylight basement, it can tend to be more damp. Then you want to open up the windows again and get that fresh air in there and get the warmth and the light going in there so that everything is fresh, bright, and it feeds the soul, it feeds the body. 
Let's talk about feng shui and what's going on under your bed. At night as we sleep, we want, again, circulation to circulate around the body. And if you have things under your bed, then it's the circulation becomes impeded, so it's not moving around the body in a, in a cycle. And the things under the bed, our body knows what's in our aura field. And our body knows what's around us. And so anything under the bed will actually take away from our sleep cycle because it's right there within that three-foot aura area. And if it's books or clutter or anything like that, then the body, again, has to struggle to um, basically rest because it's either trying to clean it up or, or it's getting stalled or whatever. And especially if somebody's storing guns under a bed, um, it's, it's a cutting energy to the body. And I actually do experiments in my workshops where I set people in a chair, have them close their eyes, and I put different things under their chair, and I muscle test them. And one of them will be a knife, another one will be like a clear crystal, and like a teddy bear or something pretty benign. And it's pretty interesting. It's, it's a real audience changer because people see that and even the naysayers that oh I don't believe that okay now they want me to try them and they can see that another way to muscle test that energy is our cell phones cell phones emit an energy a radiation that actually weakens the body energy field and muscle testing will show that that's why people should not sleep with their cell phones they need to have them at least eight feet from the bed it'll ring if you need to answer it and you can get out of bed and get it you don't need to check your text during the night or anything like that because it impedes that sleep cycle, cycle that REM, REM cycle that we need to rest and heal. Eight feet away from the bed, cell phones? Uh-huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got to yep. move mine a little farther away. That's for sure. Yep, yep. Eight. Our aura field goes out about four, and so that just kind of gives us that double buffer. Very good. You could probably get away with four or five, but eight is is for a TV, cell phone, any electronics. I don't even like the, the clocks by the bed, but, you know, sometimes we just have to go with it. <laughs> yeah, some things are necessary when you need to wake yeah, up in the morning. Yeah, some things we just have to bite the bullet. Right. Uh, the alchemy of quantum mind feng shui is one of Mary Shirtliff's uh, beautiful books, and we've just been talking a little bit about feng shui. Where does the quantum mind come into the picture? It's, it's more about a quantum um, thinking, a metaphysical thinking outside of the box where things aren't just physical. What you see is what you get. There's so many other layers, dimensions, and realms to feng shui. The quantum mind encompasses mind, body, spirit. Alchemy of Quantum Mind Feng Shui. Another book you have is Reconnecting Your Spirit. Sometimes we just disconnect. You know, we get so busy that we disconnect from spirit, disconnect from the cosmos, God, whatever people, word people want to use. And we don't listen then to our intu- intuition. We're listening more to the chatter. So in that chatter, we're hearing verbs and phrases and nouns that possibly don't apply to us. When we're growing up, we, we hear a lot of times, you're so stupid, you should have done this differently. In our head, when we hear the word you talking to ourselves, that means that's somebody else's words. Oh. And when we hear, hear the word I in our head, that's our, our own thoughts. And so some of reconnecting your spirit is 
about using your going back into that intuition and really listening to your own verbiage, listening to what you say to yourself and about yourself, but also what you say to others about yourself. When I was working with hypnosis, I would hear people say that that in my head, I hear you, you, you all the time. But then when they would regurgitate it to me, they would say, I. And so what happened is they took whatever somebody else said to you in the form of you, but then they internalized it back into I when it came to me. Like, I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm so stupid. So with that, it's about readjusting your words. In feng shui, we readjust your home. Reconnecting the spirit is more about hypnosis it's, and watching how you say things. Isn't that great? Listen to your words. Are they really yours? When you hear the word you, you, you in your head, that's a tape from the past, someone else's words. I say, when you make a mistake, tell yourself immediately it's an opportunity to be kind to yourself. Mary Shirtleff, S-H-U-R-T-L-E-F-F dot com. If you'd like to win all three of her books, email me from Casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Our thought for the day is from Muji, M-O-O-J-I Muji, who says, feelings are just visitors. Let them come and let them go. See you next week. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey, an Ella's Leash production. The content of Shine On, the health and happiness show is intended for general information purposes only. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Join KC for another edition of Shine On, the health and happiness show, next Sunday morning, right here on 100.7 WHUD.